0: If you have your Bible uh, open in Mark chapter one, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark and watching this unfold. We're still in Mark chapter one, but we're making a little progress. I want to start this morning by talking about something that happened to me recently, and um, it was something that happened. I had uh, this experience. I'm, I'm a obviously a very healthy person, as you can tell, and um, don't get sick very often or whatever, but I had this this pain in my side that was kind of growing uh, over time, and it was like, I, I'm real quick to like be optimistic and be like, it's fine, but it lasted long enough that I'm like, something's going on here, and, and words like spleen and appendix started coming to mind of like things I know are in my body and sometimes hurt people, but I, I couldn't tell you where they were, but the pain was somewhere in here, so I'm like, I think it's time to, like, do what you do when you're ready to escalate things and you find your friend that's a nurse and you ask her, what's wrong with me? And so I did, and I found her actually at church, and I was like, hey, so I'm having this thing, like, do you think I need my appendix out? Like, what's the deal? And she kind of asked me some more questions about where it was, and she's like, it's probably just gas. And, uh, and um, as it turns out, I was later able to confirm that she was correct about that. I won't tell you how I confirmed that. Um But I was basically like, thank you for being my mom for a minute there. I just needed a mom to just tell me that it's just gas and I'm going to be fine. Um, the, the problem that I had was, right, I had something, an issue, something wrong with me, but I lacked a couple of things, okay? I lacked the ability to, like, assess and to know. I didn't, didn't have all the information I needed to be able to say, this is what's happening with me. And if something had indeed been happening to me, I didn't have the ability to address it. Well, what I love about this morning is we're getting to know Jesus better, and we're seeing a couple things. One, he knows Everything and also he can do anything, okay. And the way we're going to look at it this morning is we're going to see a couple of stories about Jesus that show both his authority and his power two concepts that are very related. But um, authority has a lot to do with um, Jesus' uh, right to do something, okay. Jesus' right to tell us that something's real or true, or his right to command us to do this or that instead of the other thing. So that's Jesus' authority, and his power is his ability to do something about it. We're going to see both in a few stories, and I'm just going to dive right into these um, here. So Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus, now we're, like if you've been following with us in Mark, we haven't seen Jesus do much. John the Baptist came proclaiming that the kingdom is coming, uh jesus came on the scene he was baptized and then jesus uh called his disciples so he's gaining followers so this is kind of all we've seen so now jesus comes he's still around the sea of galilee and he comes and he uh begins he goes into the synagogue and he begins teaching them okay so with jesus teaching goes into the synagogue a synagogue was not the temple The temple was all about making sacrifices and the priests would be there ministering in the temple the synagogue was something that started when israel was in exile and it was all about, it was kind of like a church community where it's like we're getting together, not led by the priest, but this would be led by maybe elders in the community, and we're here to um, read the scriptures and talk about what the scriptures mean and the different traditions and, and interpretations that come with that, and, um, and kind of be encouraged by reading scripture together. So Jesus comes, and he would be, he was invited into that space um, to read the scriptures, but what struck them about what Jesus did is he did indeed read the scriptures. We can see examples of that in Luke and other places. But he, he read them and talked about the scriptures in a way that showed authority. So Mark doesn't tell us anything about what Jesus said. He only comments on the style in which Jesus said it, which was authoritative. And to me, what that looks like is... Look, when I'm up here, I am uh, reading the Word of God. There's one authority up here week by week, and it is only the Word of God that's sitting here. It's not my words or what I'm going to tell you about it or, or my gas that I'm explaining to you guys, right? It's um, the Word of God is the authority. All of it comes from that. But Jesus, when he was there, was able to quote the authoritative word from the Old Testament, and he was able to tell th- those people, this is what that means, and the time is now, and here's what you do. He was the author of the whole Old Testament and he was there speaking to them with authority, telling them, like basically, when we think of Jesus, think he has the authority to interpret reality for all of us. And the, and the people that were there could sense there's something different about Jesus. As he's telling us what's happening in the world, he's able to say it with authority and people are responding and saying, this is crazy, right? He, he's teaching as one with authority, not like the scribes. The scribes were scholars that would talk about the interpretations. Jesus was there telling people how things really are. We always need to remember, Jesus is the one and only one that has the authority to tell us straight out, this is how things are. This is what's real in your life. We need to listen to his voice. Um, I invite you not to care about my voice whatsoever, except insofar as um, we're pointing to Jesus and who he actually is and what he actually says through the word of God and all those things. So first off, Jesus comes, authority of interpretation. He's telling them what reality is. Then there's an interesting situation that unfolds In the synagogue, this would have been an amazing church service to be part of, okay? Immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. So here's the church service, okay, everything's good and, and uh, dignified and everything else, but all of a sudden in the midst of that, there is an unclean spirit in the midst of that. Now that's going to spice up any church gathering for sure, okay? And he says, now, he says unclean spirit, that's kind of in contrast to uh, Jewish ritual at the time. If you're going to gather in a respectable way, there's, there's ritual purifications, there's clean and unclean, these are categories they had, but here's an unclean spirit. There's no way that the Jewish leaders of the time would have let this person in intentionally if they knew that he had an unclean spirit. Um, but often the people that need, uh, are in the greatest need, uh, they're good at hiding it. And so this person is there, and he comes in, and, um, and this unclean spirit begins to, to speak. Now, I want to just take a little aside here on um, this, because the demon just kind of comes out of nowhere, all right? So, Here's the deal with demons. Let me just explain it all to you so you never have to wonder again, okay? Um, Little little sarcasm there. Unclean spirit equals demon equals, like, evil spiritual force, okay? So if you think, like, most of us are pretty cool with the idea of there's a God in heaven— most of us are pretty good with the idea that there's angels that kind of do God's bidding. He sends them in the world to do what he does. Um, where it gets uh, trickier and, and actually a little less defined in Scripture is there's also someone called Satan, which we saw uh, a couple weeks ago. And he is he is like the opponent of God, okay? And then he has these demonic forces that are kind of like the bad version of angels. And in that setting then, there's these... There's this, uh, there's God who is all powerful and all good, and has angels that work for him. And then there's Satan who is far from all powerful, who is powerful but not anything like a counterpart to God himself. And then there's these demons that kind of do his bidding. That's like the the picture we get in Scripture. But I want to I want to kind of say this because I think it's important. We don't get a we don't get a, like a super clear picture of all of what that looks like, okay? I think sometimes we have like a Satanology and a demonology that are a little more uh, precise than I think scripture allows for. We can make some inferences perhaps, but when Satan comes on the scene in Genesis 3, he shows up as a serpent. He's not really explained very much. He's just kind of there doing stuff, and we're just like, okay, well, he's he's there, and we're just going to deal with it, right? Demons, it's the same thing. There's not that many references to demons in the Old Testament. Not, not very much at all. Some kind of unclean spirits, harmful spirits, uh, those kinds of things, but it's real um, infrequent in the Old Testament. When you get to the Gospels, all of a sudden demons are like all over the place and Jesus is addressing them with regularity. It happens a lot. And then when we get into Acts, um, a few references to unclean evil spirits, but not very many at all. So it's an interesting thing that seemed to have really come to a head with, uh, with Jesus. And it still is kind of around, and Paul is clear, like he tells us in Ephesians, like, hey, just keep in mind, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against these powers of darkness. So he is reminding us, like, this stuff is still real, but there's something unique about what happened with Jesus. The other thing I want us to see, and we're going to watch this unfold week by week as we go through the Gospels, is as Jesus addresses the demonic forces, he gives us nothing like a handbook. He gives us nothing like consistency of like, hey, when this happens, make sure you say this phrase. Make sure you do this thing. Make sure you get the person to fall on the ground. Like, he doesn't do, he doesn't explain those kinds of things. And it's, it's, um, it's different in many of the different cases. Sometimes he'll speak to the demons, sometimes he won't. Sometimes he casts it out, sometimes he doesn't. I think the whole point of it is um, not to say that we don't have a battle against demonic forces. I think that's real, and it does. In fact, I'll even just say, I think I've been a part of um, praying over people in a way that is casting a demon out of a person. Like, I believe that's real, and I believe I've seen that um, and been a part of it. But what I am saying is we got to avoid a couple things. One is, on this side, this is kind of where I was taught in seminary, which is like, that was kind of Jesus thing, and we don't deal with demonic stuff anymore, so just preach the gospel, and we're good. I don't think this is an adequate representation of what life is like, on the other side, there's this picture of, like, um, demons hiding behind every bush and everything, right? You, like, you sneeze, and it's like, okay, like, thanks, Satan. Like, that's, I think that there's the two. So I think somewhere in the middle, and, I, and, and then here's the thing that actually matters in all that. I don't care. I think in this room, we're probably very disagreed on the frequency and the nature and all that kind of stuff. But here's what I think I, uh, we need to agree on. The point of these stories in the Gospel of Mark As we see Jesus, and there's this battle against demonic forces. Jesus is addressing them directly. He's casting them out. And what we see again and again and again is less Jesus teaching us, this is what you do when you encounter it. It's more a picture of Jesus as the one who has all authority. There's like demonic opposition to Jesus. And then there's Jesus portrayed as having all of the power All of the authority. And so as we walk through this world, we have to recognize human beings are not the only ones that have rebelled against God. There's also these spiritual forces. But what we always do in every situation where we're battling that is we look to Jesus, who is the one who is strong enough, who is powerful enough, who has the authority that can actually do something about it. Like, whatever we do, whatever it looks like for you, the key is looking to Jesus and saying, you have the power and authority, and would you help this person? Would you heal? Would you cast out? Like, we're talking to Jesus and working with him. Um, I thought of, thought of it like this. If you, um, if you wanted to watch the greatest basketball player that has ever lived, you would have had to have been alive in the 1990s and watched Michael Jordan playing for the Chicago Bulls, okay? Everybody agrees. For, for you youth kids, uh, Michael Jordan is like LeBron James, except he actually, like, doesn't give up at the end of games. Um, LAUGHTER <laughs> That's like, that like a nothing thing I threw out, and you guys got real excited about it. That's great. Anyway, um, so Michael Jordan like, is, is I, I think, in my opinion, he's the greatest basketball player ever. And um, so if, if I'm like trying to be a good basketball player, one thing I can do is watch Michael Jordan play, and I can do the things that Michael Jordan did, right? Um, cause that was a big overstatement. I could try to do the things that Michael Jordan did. Um, That's amazing, right, but how much better if you could be like, hey, Michael, I've got this, like, team, we're playing down at the rec center, would you come and be on my team and play with me, right, and that would be amazing, because I could play with Michael Jordan, and my goal would be always, as often as I could, get the ball to Michael Jordan, and he's going to score and dunk from the free throw line and whatever else he does, right, so... I think with, with uh, Jesus, it's like there is a side of this where we're like, let's do the things that Jesus did. But I think the primary purpose of this is we're talking about Jesus who is still part of our world. He is still active. He's still on our team. In fact, it's not my team I'm recruiting him to. It's his team that he's recruited me to, right? And so it's just saying, Lord, there's, there's this power. I don't understand it. There's this situation. I don't know what's happening here. Jesus, would you work and would you be powerful? I think that's what we're meant to see. We're meant to see the power of Jesus in this. Look at how the the demons respond to Jesus. It's in verse 24 here. And uh, they say, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so here you have this demon that kind of seems to be speaking on behalf of the entire realm of demons. And he's saying, uh, first of all, knows who Jesus is, right? You're the Holy One of God. So recognizing the authority of Jesus as the Holy One and also recognizes, have you come to destroy us? Like knows that the, the destruction of himself and all these other demons are um, going to come to it. That 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 destruction is sure. It's going to come at the hands of Jesus. That was for, foretold even in Genesis three, and they know it's happening. And so there's this acknowledgement of this war that Jesus is taking on on behalf of uh, to fight against the demonic realm. And so the, the response to this, everyone sees this incident play out. It was it was the best church service they've ever been a part of, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying what is this a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee so people saw Jesus and they heard the power in his teaching the authority that he had to tell us what's true and they saw him claiming authority over this demonic realm and they're like there is something different about who Jesus is so let's move on another story here we're going to see Jesus power to heal in a in a very like unique moment here so in verse 29, immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. This is like a, like a beautiful moment. So it's, it shows Jesus in a private moment. Okay, so he leaves the synagogue, the church service, and he goes into Simon's house to in in his mother-in-law is sick, and so he heals. The, the mother-in-law heals her fever. I think it's really beautiful. Like shows Jesus is not just in it for the crowds, right? He's not like, could we get her out here where there's a lot more people that can see my power? No, Jesus is just there. And in a sweet moment, he heals her. And I love the picture of he takes her by the hand. You know, he's holding her hand and he heals her. And it's really um, a beautiful, tender, compassionate scene. And then she gets up and serves them. The, the first thing I thought when I read that is like, man, Jesus really must have wanted a sandwich if he's like, uh, let's heal her so she can get the dinner on, you know, um, JK on that. But it's beautiful. She gets up and serves. And, and that serving idea, like, it, like the sign that someone has been transformed by Jesus is you do see them serving other people. Jesus himself is the one with all the power and the authority, and yet he is constantly serving people he is the servant he will say that explicitly later but already we're seeing he sees someone in need he helps he serves and when she gets transformed by jesus she goes and immediately what she's doing is service oriented it's a beautiful picture so we go from that that intimate moment and then we step in a little further here and now we're seeing jesus on a big scale a couple of private healings so there's a uh, a smaller scale casting out of an individual demon with this person then he's casting out an individual or he's uh, casting out an individual disease with this uh Peter's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law. And then in verse 32, we see him doing this on a big scale. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So Jesus now in this public thing, it's the Sabbath. So the people are waiting till sundown when Sabbath is officially over. And they can now carry their sick people out and be doing that. And they take him, and they're just flooding the door of the house Jesus is in. And everyone's just bringing people that are sick, people that have demons. And they're just like, Jesus, do something. Like, we, we've seen some crazy things. We believe it can happen. And so here they come, and on a, on a major scale, Jesus is um, healing these people. And, and what's beautiful about it, so one is there's the, the individual freedom these people get, right? Like my, my um, you know, this demon's been attacking me, now that's gone, right? Or um, this sickness has been like hurting me for for years in many cases, and now they're free. There's also the side of this, which is beautiful, of Jesus is sort of restoring the community. It's people that have been outcasts. When we see demons throughout the rest of uh, the Gospel of Mark, we see people that have been like, nobody wants to be around the person that is that is being troubled by a demon, okay? So it's, they're outcast socially. Or sickness, a lot of illnesses, um, people would be kind of socially outcast for that, right? Like COVID, but like a thousand times worse in some of these cases. I remember my neighbor, my neighbor across the street was like, early in the pandemic and he was like the first one that any of us knew to get covid and we're like okay what's going to happen with this dude and that poor guy he had to sit in his front room which is like out on the street side of things and he had to just sit there quarantine for like a week he was feeling miserable and he had to just watch all the rest of us just kind of like living our lives and being happy with party hats out in the street and all that kind of stuff and he was just in there like what's going to happen and so we had to wait till he got better right to be restored to his family restored to his community this is what jesus is Doing in all these things, it's it's beautiful because um, what we've seen already is Jesus has declared the kingdom of God is at hand. Right, repent, believe the gospel, believe the good news that the kingdom of heaven is here. And so um, he's he's looking for God to like is bringing the kingdom. He's announcing that it's happening. But then Jesus goes and immediately what he's doing is he's enacting the kingdom of God. He's making it a reality. So not just saying. God's reign of, of um, wholeness and love and, um, and a, a community that, like, is connected to God and to each other. Like, he's not just saying that's going to happen, but now he goes and he begins restoring people that are hurting um, to their sanity, right? He's, he's relieving them of the things that are oppressing them. He's, he's getting rid of the illnesses that are keeping them from connecting with each other. And so there, there's this wholeness and this this idea of God's will being done on earth in these individual cases as Jesus is walking around. Not just saying the kingdom's coming, but helping to make it a reality in what he does. He's doing the actual work that he came to do. And So it's beautiful to see, um, man, as Jesus is doing this whole thing, he's preparing uh, this beautiful clearing out of, uh, of the landscape of these demonic things, of these illnesses, like everything that's wrong in the world, he begins to clear it out, and he's saying, okay, the kingdom of God is coming here. At Israel at this time, okay, there were people that were, Uh, uh, oppressed by by demonic, spiritual, dark stuff, okay? And there were people that were hurting and sick. And so those people were just there. Like, you can imagine what it would be like to be in Israel at this time with people who are are hurting so much, and this was all happening. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in walks Jesus, and he begins to actually do something about it. Do what people considered to be impossible. Healing people that were sick, casting out. No one else could do this, but Jesus was doing it. And and they, they, I think, would begin to get this sense of hope, like, this could change. I think that's why people are carrying everyone down the street to Jesus' door, like, okay, maybe this could actually happen now. And, and I picture, like, our society, our world, our church, but also our community and our nation and our world. And think of how many people are just hurting, right? And think of how many of these situations that we experience are permanent and absolutely hopeless, and there's nothing that can be done, right? There's, there's depression that is crazy and crippling for people. There's chronic illness that is just horrifying, right? And there's all these, like, social things that like could be demonic or maybe not, but either way, looking at these things of like, man, look at how much we just manipulate and oppress each other, right? It's just like we, we've seen anybody that gets power in this world seems to use it for their own good and to, to push down everybody else around them. Um, look, at, look at like bullying in schools. Like it's so common that anyone like is, is willing to just put down somebody else so that they can be um, seen as being cool or having status or fit in to the whole thing. Um, we live in a world that's just controlled by these ideologies of fear and hate that comes in political forms or just in the form of like the peer pressure of if you don't earn this much, if you don't, um, if you don't vacation in these ways, if you don't achieve in this way, if you don't reach this level in your job, then you're not uh, good enough, you don't amount to it. We feel the pressure and the weight of these things all around us. We live in a world that's like defined by by violence and substance abuse, right? Where there's drugs and there's alcohol and we just keep turning to these things in all the wrong ways. And we just see like if you just picture the world around us looking at the people that live all around us and we ourselves and we just see, man, there's pain and there's hurt and it's impossible, right? We've had enough presidents by now to know that no president is going to fix it. We've had enough political parties by now to know no political party is going to be able to fix it, right? We, like, there's nothing in this world that can fix these things. We're hurt. We look at our schools. Like, I think of the schools that our, our youth are in. They're dominated by fear, right? Afraid of not fitting in. You're afraid of, of being hurt. You're being afraid of being left out. You're afraid of not getting into the college that you're supposed to get in. Like, all of these things are causes for fear. And in this landscape that is so hopeless— Jesus, I think, is walking into our world as well. Jesus is here. Like, he says that he is here. And Jesus being here, um, we, we look at these old stories of what Jesus did when he was on earth. And in that impossible situation, Jesus walked in and he began saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here. It's ready. It can be here in your life right now. And he begins to look at those things that oppress the people around us, the way that evil and demonic forces are working to distort society and distort individuals. And Jesus begins to say, get out not here, shut your mouth, not here, go, and it begins to happen, right? Like, evil actually listens to the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and it's gone. He looks at people that are hurting, and and they're sick, and there's no answers, and there's no solution, and he begins to say, hey, I can make you whole again. I can restore you to your community again. Jesus did that back then, and what I would love for us to do is, as we read these stories of Jesus week by week, we're going to see a lot more of these kinds of stories to, to begin to ask the question, okay, I also have darkness that is around me and even within me. I also have pains and suffering that I'm experiencing in my life. Could Jesus be the one that has the power to speak life into these dark, broken down places in my heart? And I'm just saying, like, we're, we're good church people here. We know how to do the church thing. But I'm telling you, I know for a fact there's so many people in this room where there's been that darkness, or there's been that weight, there's been that pain that's in your soul that you have basically given up on, like, maybe, maybe this is just what life is. Maybe this never goes away. And I just want to invite us, see Jesus. See Jesus as the one with the authority and the power to tell us how the world really is, to do something about the things that are oppressing us. I don't know what it would look like. I don't have a formula. I don't, like, I I don't know what to do, but I can tell you that I'm looking to this Jesus that has the power and the authority and saying, would you please begin to work in my life in the life of the people that are around us? Jesus at the end, uh, I'm going to jump back here. Verse 34, Jesus Um, As he's casting out these demons, it's really interesting, throughout the whole thing, you see Jesus constantly concerned with, he heals somebody, and then he tells them, but don't tell anybody, okay? And especially the demons, right? Casting out the demons, like, you guys be silent, and he does not let the demons speak. They know who he is, but he doesn't let them speak. Throughout, I think Jesus is trying to limit who it is that's talking about him, what people are saying about him, because I think the biggest thing, Jesus wants us to wrestle for ourselves with who he is. It says, uh, jumping back to verse 27, They're all just sitting there saying, like, what is going on here? This teaching with authority, he's casting out the demons. Already throughout Israel at this time, there's rippling these questions of who is this man? Who is Jesus? And Mark is written basically to help us wrestle with that question as well. Who is Jesus actually? The best thing we can do, I think, is to wander along with these people. To to see these pictures of who Jesus is and wonder, okay, what does that really mean? And not just in a theological sense, not just as scholars like the scribes would in the synagogues, but actually sitting there and saying, okay, in my life, in my situation now, who is Jesus actually? If he did all this back then, what could he do in my life now? It does not mean you have all the answers figured out, Um, but it does mean that we're, we're looking to him and saying, I think he is the one that could do something for me.